<laughs> Happy Easter, Duncan. Happy Easter, Alan. He has risen. Yes, the chocolate god. Nice. Much like our podcast. Because <laughs> it disappeared, didn't it, around December, around Christmas? I can't believe it's been de- since December. Are you sure? I think it was December, yeah. 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 Something like that, isn't it? I think you're probably right. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know it's been a long time because I've received lots of emails from our avid fans and <laughs> listeners wondering if the project had come to an end. That'd be totally unlike us, wouldn't it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you wanted to start off with something about reputation, which is interesting. Yeah, well, in the interim, since our last episode, yeah, I was interviewed for the Postmodern Iconoclast, which is... A podcast run by Georgina Rose, mm. and I had people turning up online, coming out of the woodwork, telling me not to go on the show, <laughs> right, not to be interviewed, um, primarily because it will affect my reputation, right, right, as if, as if you care, as if as if that's why you were doing it. You know, I didn't really know what my position was on reputation until. This happened. Right, okay. Right, because I, I hadn't really thought about it. I used to think people like Alistair Crowley lent into their bad reputation, making the best out of a bad situation. Yeah, so um, so like uh, um, any publicity is good publicity type attitude. Well, I, I think he was, he, he was already kind of smeared as the wickedest man in the world, mm. right? And uh, he ended up leaning into it. Yeah. He did. Right. So I thought that was just a, a way of navigating a certain situation that he was in. But I'm I'm beginning to appreciate that it may be an indispensable part of actually doing the work. Right. Is, to, is to cultivate a dissuasive uh, appearance <laughs> to, for, for, would, for would-be students or initiates who might want to work with you. So to go out of your way to, <laughs> to make yourself in some sense perhaps unappealing. Well, it has historical precedent. So people like uh, Gurdjieff mm. and, uh, you know, there's, there's famous uh, Tibetan masters where, you know, you'd, you'd hear stories about students going to work with them and they would make it extraordinarily difficult to work with them. You'd have to overcome a number of hur- hurdles before you could do that. Mm. So Gurdjieff, he used to change um, meeting details at the last minute when people <laughs> would uh, go to work with him. Um you know, and it, and it would cut. It would be a lot of uh, hassle for the people. You know, at great expense. Or he'd turn up wearing a false mustache uh, to give off the vibe that he's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the story of um, Millerepa, and um, you'd have a master and a student, and for the student to even begin to be taught what the master knew, it required taking apart the master's house and then rebuilding it stone by stone, mm. and then once you finish, being told to do it again. Right, and uh, I think it's mostly appreciated in the literature that all of this stuff is a way of exhausting a student's preoccupation with awakening. Yeah, such that it can get to the point that real realization is possible. So it's it's got a got a practice aspect to it. Yeah, but I think a strong part of it is this dissuasive component when it comes to reputation. That I think is probably an indispensable part of actually doing the work, and I've I've not really thought about it until. what what transpired over the last couple of months with the interview? Yeah, there are. I'm just thinking about your bog standard kind of Buddhist meditation retreat, you know, that you might sign up for these days, and there will be things built into it that are by nature dissuasive. 
such as, I don't know, restrictions on food and, and not being able to talk. But that's something quite striking that you're saying, that a teacher should go out of their way <laughs> to make themselves personally, personally unappealing, which is, which yes. is not what you find happening today on bog-standard no. <laughs> retreats. No, I mean, today spirituality is a, uh, an industry, isn't it, that has its own circuit yeah. where you, you care about your brand. Yeah. And perhaps you have an app that goes with it and you go to com- non-dual conferences yeah. and, uh, you know, and it's talk pr- about stuff. It's pretty much, you know, very much about reputation, isn't it, these days, the, the oh, kind yeah, of spiritual to- teaching scene. Yes, if anything goes uh, south when it comes to um, the teacher and their behaviour or something like that. Yeah. Then there's a PR campaign for for writing the ship, so yeah. to speak. But I think the utility of cultivating a dissuasive reputation or image um, <laughs> <laughs> is actually more profound than it sounds. Right. So, um, let me elaborate. So, yeah. When I when I went on the podcast with Georgina Rose, yeah, um, yeah. People came out of the woodwork to tell me not to do it. That it would be bad for my reputation that I shouldn't do it because of her reputation of being associated with the far right right okay or something like this right so it it doesn't really matter what the details are whether it's true or not it's enough for the association for people to care in terms of reputation Mm. you know the the currency of reputation so just by being associated with her that's enough and this could spell disaster you know if you want to if you want to get ahead in this game if you want to be a name Online, mm-hmm. you know, on a cult e-celeb, then you need to make sure that you're looking after your reputation. Yeah, and I mean, my understanding is that's that's pretty much what happened to her. You know, she was in contact with somebody um, or some people who had dubious history. She's, like you said, she's associated with the far right, but as far as I'm aware, she's, you know, not a card-carrying member of any political group or political party. Well, unfortunately, Dunk, I think maybe we are now associated with the far, with the far right <laughs> as a result of me going on the podcast. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so I had um, you know s- someone had invited me on a podcast, right? But it had never happened pr- prior to the invitation by Georgina Rose. Mm. And um, when this when this person found out that uh, I was going to go on the interview with Georgina Rose. They tried to do everything they could to try and make sure that I didn't because they they wanted to make sure I didn't ruin my reputation. Right. Like <laughs> so they can't but then have you it, on but their then, podcast now. Well, yeah, so then it transpired that when they realised it was already pre-recorded and I'd already done it, the truth is I can't go on their podcast now because yeah. it will destroy their reputation. So there's a, there's a kind of con- contagion thing going on, isn't there? It's something like that, yeah. And surely, yeah. surely, if there's all these degrees of separation, you know, surely, mm. surely we're all we're mm. all tainted in some way. Yeah. Um, so, th- so that made me think about reputation. I hadn't really appreciated it mm. how much people ca- care about that, and because uh, cause it's kind of independent of concern around what might be true. Mm. It's almost like even if you acknowledge that certain things aren't true, the taint is enough, isn't it? The taint is enough, and enough for you to steer clear of also being contaminated in a similar fashion. Yeah, it's it's a factor where, regardless of what you think about it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? 
whether you th- whether you whether you say you care about reputation or not, it's a, it's something that that's that's uh, at play in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and more so than ever before, I think. What made me think that that it's something that should be actively cultivated, and maybe should be something that we should I, sh- I should lean into, right? Is that when it comes to like the the very first principle that I describe in Magia, right, mm-hmm. is that when we're called to to follow the the thread. Mm. Right. Mm. When when we're called to try and realize something that belongs to another world in this one, despite appearances, mm. we don't know how to explain it. We don't have the right language for it. It's independent of our preferences. Yeah. It's not a rational decision. It's it's we we can come up with rationalizations for it, but it but it's something that's prior and that's organic, that's more profound. And it is often the case you end up. Um, following this thread because you trust that thread and you move in a direction that many people would say would be bad for your reputation Mm. right Mm. so the idea that you associate with initiation based on preference or based on reputation yeah is the the polar opposite to its nature i mean it's really it's really interesting that you should bring this up now because one of the things i've been doing over the past weeks is doing the the re-editing and revision for the Baptist Head trilogy, which um, you know, as you know, <laughs> we're both under yeah. under contract to um, bring out a new version of that fairly soon. Uh, yeah, a, a, a kind of collected version of all the Baptist Head books. Um, yeah, which were things that we did back in the mid two thousands for people who might not yeah. know about that. Which uh, is bad news for the scalpers <laughs> selling old copies of the BH. Right. Trilogy for horrendous sums. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah. So hopefully that will be out in uh, in a year or so. Um, but of course, looking back through that material, you know, I'm looking at stuff I wrote back then and thinking, oh my god, did I say Why, that? What did you write? Did I do that? <laughs> well, all, all the stuff about um, you know declaring uh, that I was enlightened, that I was awakened, that I was an arahat. Yeah. Um, you know, there it is. It's in print. And mm. being confronted with that again and thinking to yeah. myself, do do I want people reading this? Do I want this to be mm. in print? Yeah. And at the end of the day, yes, yes, I mm. do. Yeah. <laughs> because that was well, what I yeah. experienced at the time. I mean, there is something um, distasteful, isn't there, about talking about one's spiritual experience and what you mm. think it might mean and what it is. Yeah. But um, it's something that's required at this time. I think for people just to just to cover the basics, just to say that these things are real. Yes, and that it's a reality. Yes, yeah, that was one yeah. of the things that struck me about it because um, those sorts of behaviours are, are looked down upon in in say monastic communities. Because mm. you can imagine yeah. people going around inside a monastery is going to piss off the other people there, isn't it? But mm. we don't live in a monastery. <laughs> in fact, we live in a culture that does not admit. The, the reality of spirit, for instance, does it? Mm. And as you were saying just then, yes, I agree. I think it's more productive at this time in this culture to go around talking about such things being a possibility and being a reality than it is to, to, to just deny them in the way that the mainstream does. Yeah. I mean, within, within Magia, there is a, a correction to... You know the possibilities of uh, all the problems that come along with with claiming certain attainments, 
Um, there's a corrective to that in terms of mastering the practice. So there's a there's a practice in Magia where you make sense of spiritual experiences. There's a there's a way of doing that, and so the focus is on mastering the practice, and there's no one to affirm or deny any realization. It's just mastery of the practice, uh-huh. so, such that we will talk openly and honestly about realization, but it's subsumed within a different concern, which is, are you interested in mastering the practice or not? Yeah. And if you're there for any other reason, that will quickly become clear. Um, and will be something that has to be uh, corrected, yeah. you know, or or the person departs <laughs> from the order, so to speak. Which which brings me back round to this idea about the reputation thing, mm. right? There are a few people who are interested in following the thread, and interested in following the thread in the particular version that's presented with Magia, mm. you know, that, that I do as a teacher, that I'm presenting as a teacher. And a handful of people is enough. It, it's not something that's supposed to be, you know, for everyone. But then there are people who who might be interested for other reasons, mm. right? And if the the concern is around association or reputation or in keeping one's preferences, right? Not challenging one's preferences, mm. not moving in a direction opposite to one's preferences, not encountering what might be dissuasive, then any serious idea of initiation isn't for that person there is something to be said about ensuring those people for whom preference or reputation is a stronger impulse or a stronger concern mm. than the call you know to follow a thread that that that, that those people self select mm. you know they keep themselves away from from what's most precious so that they don't they don't destroy what's hidden in the in the holy of holies, mm-hmm. nor are they destroyed by it, because again, it goes both ways. Not only is it possible for the person who's subsumed within their preferences to destroy the thing they claim to care about, yeah, but it's also possible for them to be at the mercy of impressions, strong impressions that will come along, you know, as a result of growing spiritually, yeah. um, that would destroy them if if they cannot acknowledge what's in front of their face you know and be and, and suspect that there might be something beyond appearances that's you know that's all very very kind and and well and good but the thing that does get destroyed of course in a relationship like that is the sense of the teacher's reputation yes i don't think reputation will survive the work no i don't think that's possible no and i I was thinking that like when you said um at the beginning you know now we're associated with the far right and our reputation's gone well i don't think we have much of one anyway given (laughs) given the nature of the baptist head stuff you know where we where we went around declaring our enlightenment for for about five years yeah um but of course, like you were saying, um, there are people who read all of that and, and remain interested anyway. I've heard from lots of people who, who, who um, still talk about enjoying that material, you know, and go back to it Which again and surprising. again. Which is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's even you know, there's even a, a, a degree of realization of this in in the Baptist head stuff. I remember that there's an essay in there, one of yours, and, and you describe mm. a particular awakening experience and then right at the end of it you say I am still a great big tit (laughs) (laughs) some things never change don't (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, I suppose the reputation of the teacher does not survive the great work, perhaps. Mm. Um, somebody who's started to follow the thread for the wrong reasons and come to that conclusion, you know, they're going to go away and they're going to they're going to spread that, aren't they? Do you mean the bad, the bad reputation? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to they're going to continue that narrative of um, you know, the teacher being unsuitable, the teacher being deluded. Well, this is the thing about reputation. Cause it's not quite the same thing as, you know, the car crash of spirituality that we've seen in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. With most major teachers who have anything to do with awakening or Buddhism or non-duality, catastrophically dropping the ball right. when it comes to the basics of just teaching like a normal person with students because there are so because you might look at some of these teachers and say look they now have a bad reputation but but they did bad things yeah that are demonstrable yeah right they did things they failed they did bad things yeah well, well some, some of them are crimes aren't they <laughs> They're actual yes crimes. some of them are crimes yeah yeah and it's astounding the number of them yeah it's, it's astounding the failure, and I think that's a generational thing and something to do with the values of that generation. But reputation is different from that. Reputation can be merely a matter of uh, being being smeared, mm. and that's enough, and the taint is enough, mm. right? So, it, so it, it doesn't really matter uh, what we say or what we've done, right? It doesn't matter what your opinions are, really, or what you really believe. Once, once it's established by enough people online, into you know the image, yeah, uh, then that's enough. And you know what I'm talking about is perhaps cultivating that image and the function that that might serve. Mm. You know, it, it's a it's a veil over the shrine. That's another way of putting it. Mm. My my way in to magic was that was Crowley was Alistair Crowley. My my introduction to him was when I was like nine years old, <laughs> and it was the worst version you could think of that I was presented with. You know, the wickedest man in the world who sacrificed children, tortured animals, um, did unspeakable things. And even then, even though I was repulsed by the idea that a person would be like that, I knew that I had found what I was looking for. And later, when I kept, when I found magic and theory in practice, I, I didn't understand a word of it, but I still knew I'd found what I was looking for. You know, and it was and it was such that I couldn't explain it to anyone. Um, I didn't talk about it for for a long time. Like I kept it secret for like uh, it must have been at least a decade. Never told anyone that I was interested in magic or spirituality or anything like that because I couldn't explain it. It was indefensible, given what the reputation was. You know, it's also why. I mean, things like this is also why there's no such thing as a gatekeeper or you know like uh, initiation for dummies mm. or or something like this. Where you, where you can have people who present uh, a friendly, accessible version of, of wisdom or something like that, or, you know, for a teaching, because it doesn't work like that. The right relationship is that you encounter something, despite your preferences, that you cultivate over a long period of time that produces fruits you couldn't have guessed at. And an explainer or a gatekeeper would fundamentally misunderstand that that's the, that's the right way of thinking about the relationship with the divine or or with a lineage or with a teacher is that it's best understood as agriculture you know, something that's cultivated yeah, so now Crowley consciously cultivated that image, he lent into the image, although he wasn't um, you know, he wasn't the origin of the image that was there in the tabloids you know, that he was this evil satanist you know, but he he famously like 
put stuff in in his books, like the like the footnote in Magic and Theory and Practice where where he said he's known to sacrifice was it thousands <laughs> of children or something like that? Yeah, something like uh, that. Uh, yeah, and he and you know he meant um, uh, having an orgasm, didn't he? Yeah, like the you know he had lots of sex or whatever. Yeah. All the people who failed that I've talked about the car crash, they've all been concerned with brand. Mm-hmm. With reputation as appearing a certain way, as a, as attracting as many followers as possible, mm. often tied up with ideas about a global awakening. Mm. But there's also something about reputation that's to do with trust. Mm. So the idea that if someone has a good reputation, then they're they're trustworthy, they're reputable, and if someone has a bad reputation then generally they're regarded as not being trustworthy. But this is not what you're saying. Well, you reminded me of Gurdjieff again with the fake moustache to make you think this is someone who's... You, you can't trust how they're appearing. Yeah. But you do get drawn to people, don't you? That's the thing, you know, despite how mm. they present themselves. Like, like, you know, thinking thinking about some of the spiritual teachers I've had um, contact with. I mean, you know, sort of Daniel Ingram comes to mind, who um, a, a lot of people find, you know, quite quite a strong personality, let's say. Yeah. But and and you know, yes, I I had that impression as well. But but a sense that there's something there, you know, there's something there that um, you know, I want to get to know. Have you have you ever come across a teacher like that? I'd be interested to know. All of them, probably. <laughs> what what about well, the, what about the guy in India? Yeah, I mean that was off putting. Yeah. Well, he was a bit like a used car salesman. What was his I name? I think he actually was a used car salesman. Um Arun Achala Romana. Yeah. Great big Texan guy, wasn't he? Yeah. With bad tattoos. You see this question around trusting a teacher. Mm. Right. That's not what you should do. <laughs> that's the whole point. That's the whole point. So you can take a practical approach and you can say, um, do I trust what this person is saying? Right, And that, that's what I'm going to trust, that's what I'm going to follow. Now that sounds similar to trusting something else that's calling you, the thread that you're following. It sounds similar, doesn't it? But it's not the same thing. No. And the extent to which you found a genuine teacher is the extent to which you find that, that the teacher is synonymous with, with that thread that you're following. Yeah. But it's not the person, the human being you're trusting. No. It's something else. Yeah. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah. Right. So so you shouldn't trust the teacher. You should trust the what Maji would call the silent knowing. This this sense of something else that, that the evidence of your senses says doesn't exist. And and your call to follow it, despite anything that you think or your preferences or what your culture says, and even despite people you might meet who are teachers, mm. you know, who can turn up in the most mysterious ways and disappear in equally mysterious ways. Mm. But it's not about trusting the person. It's trusting that somehow, despite the way they present themselves, that you're, you're still going to find your way to something through them. Yeah, and then, the, see, there's the question of what does that person trust? You see, there can be something... Um, uncanny or strange about a teacher yeah because because they're doing something else that other people aren't doing right so what are they up to with that fake mustache <sighs> what was Gurdjieff up to right 
So we could talk about cultivating the image in a certain way, but they're following something else, aren't they? Or they're trusting something else. And and they're showing you what it looks like for someone to trust that something else. Mm. And if you're trusting that something else as well, and you're both doing the same thing, then that that's where you have a teacher and a student relationship. You know, something more profound going on. And again, that's um, that's what it means to follow the thread. That's that's what it ends up looking like. In the end, it, it can even look like everything is totally pitch black. Everything is dissuasive. There's not a single thing you could come up with as a as a reason why you might do what it is that you're gonna do, other than just the single tiny little flame of faith that you have in the divine. Yeah. That's all that's that's all that's left. Where it, it ends, where it begins with that first step, with just like lighting the candle, having a little, uh, just a little flame, a little light in the darkness. So what that means is, in the future, I may end up saying and doing things, right, that um, look bad. Uh-huh. They may they may look bad. I don't know why I'm. The extent to which I don't know why I'm doing it. You know, it's it's going to be even worse, isn't it, from a, from from an observer, for an observer on mm, the outside, mm. right? So it's like if you want to associate with me in any way, right? Expect that. <laughs> expect that. You won't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, or why I'm doing it. Certainly, if I don't. But the fruits that come out of it will be demonstrable by the fact that, um, given enough time, all identity discloses itself. Mm. Yeah, you know. So, so that's again the the reputation will not survive the work. Yeah, but I can imagine the charge from your detractors is is going to be listening to you saying that that you're giving mm. yourself carte blanche to do shitty things. I mean, presumably you're not talking about committing crimes or. Well, we're back to that distinction again. Yeah. We're back to that distinction again. I think that for some people, my reputation has been soiled just by mere association. I don't need to do anything wrong. That's the funny thing. I've because it, it's not hard, you know. It's not hard to be a teacher and not do bad things. Mm. It's extra, it's extraordinarily easy not to abuse students. Mm, mm. I'm like it's it's a joke how easy it is <laughs> to to be a decent human. <laughs> Right, <laughs> which again makes you think about all those uh, spiritual teachers, you know, who have fallen foul. They've mm. obviously gone out of their way to do what they've done. Yeah, but I think as well, there's there's something else going on there. So you've heard me use this phrase before, haven't you, Dunk? Uh, boomer magic. Indeed. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. And you had misgivings about me using that term, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I don't want to get into anything that involves pitting generations against each other. I don't, yeah. I don't think anything yeah. very productive comes out of that. Yeah, I've also heard people describe generational theory as astrology for MBAs. Right. <laughs> right, and, you know, there's much, there's a lot to that. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot to that. But, um, the reason I ended up using that phrase, or I was, I was, I talked about that idea with you, is because, um, it has some virtue, hmm. and the virtue is uh, we c- we can see that our culture has been led by a generation of people 
where the prevalent values are, are something like you know non-judgmental, hedonistic, short-term self-interest, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and those those have dominated. And the, the non-judgmentalism is like a cynical way of avoiding taking responsibility for anything. Mm. As in, you get to play out that short-term self-interest in a hedonistic fashion. So, so the non-judgmentalism is like the pseudo-freedom, you know, and it's about being grown up and it's about progressing as a species uh, and so on. But really, really, what it is, it's like, uh, don't tell me what to do, mum. Yeah, it's more like that, right? <laughs> Now I think it's I think it's indisputable that our culture has been uh, dominated by those values. I don't think anyone could disagree with that, could they? No, probably not. Um, I mean, the the boomers for me are the hippies, you know, and mm. as a gener- who are now all the co- corporate CEOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and as a generation Xer, you know, I was brought up yeah. never to trust a hippie. You know, which, <laughs> which is which is golden advice as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Well, the reason why I thought there was virtue in talking about boomer magic mm. is because if you think about those values, so non-judgmental, short-term self-interest, hedonistic. It's all like a parody of uh, being responsible, of being mature, of being grown up. Mm. And it, and it's an it's a convenient excuse, isn't it, to indulge the worst of your uh, entitled childish behaviour? Yeah, right. And and those those values they are um, they permeate spiritual literature. Yeah, spiritual movements, um, the brands that I talked about, those teachers that failed catastrophically. Yeah, it permeates all of it. Um, and you know you hear things like uh, you know Eastern traditions and the way that they teach, yeah, <laughs> right, are things that can't be imported into the West because it won't work with Westerners. Yeah, but I think that's incorrect. It just doesn't work with boomers, <laughs> or, it, or it doesn't work with those values. Yeah, Westerners with those values, right? And right, so I'm now I'm getting to the virtue of tying it to a generation. That generation of people are co- is coming to an end. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, and uh, I mean. Uh, Who's coming to my mind when you're saying this? People like yeah. Ken Wilber, Jack Cornfield, Stephen Batchelor. You know, they're, right. they're all of that generation and all of that ilk. I'm not saying that that they're all yeah. guilty of that particular mindset that you've described, but it's oh, that generation, so, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and, and certainly there are there are boomers who who are anti-boomers. Mm. You know, in terms of their um, recognizing of these these problems with spirituality and so on, yeah. right? Um, as few as they might be. But um, yes, the, the point of this is not to just look at a generation and say they're responsible for all the evils in the world. Yeah. The point of this is for you to look at yourself and recognize that as that generation comes to an end, you don't need to perpetuate those values. When you see that, when you identify those values in your own spiritual practice, in the literature, in the books, in the culture, and I saw a lot of it when I went to Berlin. Yeah. These are some of the values, you know, that makes makes everything that I saw there possible. Yeah, these are these these are things that we we don't need to perpetuate anymore. And I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you, Dunk, is that we're now reaching an age, right? As as the boomers fade away, mm. we're reaching the age now where it's where we could say now it's our turn to say something. Mm. Yeah. To represent something. Yeah. Because because this is where again 
I see the the older generation where they failed catastrophically is in is in um, taking responsibility for anything in such a way that there's something to hand on of value to younger people. Yeah. Right. To 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 um, not present something that that throws those young people under the bus, throws them into a meat grinder. That's what I saw in Berlin. Yeah. yeah. Was this 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 fake um, uh, responsibility, this narcissism of of pretending to be non-judgmental, but it's 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 short-term self-interest. Yeah. At the expense of of people around you but i'm wondering as well Mm. like there's there's been generations since the boomers of course Mm. and maybe things have happened in between um like with the generation x's you know which is which is my generation i think probably we we fall into different ones i don't know where you put yourself but i mean the Mm. the gen x response to all of that was probably like chaos magic wasn't it which is um never trust a hippie it's all bullshit um and you need to do it yourself it's like that punk ethos isn't it so it's it's not mm. not maybe not the judgmental um thing coming in so much but the idea of you know do it yourself whatever you do is okay mm. i mean i think we're probably Stretching the virtue of generational theory now, right? Yeah, you know more more than my initial point. Um, but I mean, I would say, you know, if there was if there was uh, uh, the, the epitome of boomer magic <laughs> is chaos magic, isn't it? <laughs> Nothing is true and everything is permitted. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Who who cares if that person over there who's just necked a bucket of mescaline? And been possessed by a goetic demon uh, now has a you know <laughs> now uh, just has a downward trajectory in life. Uh, oh well, it's a casualty, you know. We're all uh, you know what is it? Gitard chaos magicians. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you remember that phrase? Yes. There's that. And you you know and you could say Gen Xers they're just mopey boomers, aren't they? That's it. Yeah. But anyway, mopey boom. Yeah. yeah. They've got no money. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. know they're never going to get any. And, and yeah. so, uh, yeah. you know, they're all on benefits, but they manage to have this incredible time anyway. You know, that's right. that, I think that's the Gen X flavour to it. Yeah. No, I, I would say, but just back to the original idea of why I was using that phrase, mm. boomer magic, is that people have perpetuated those values, you know. We we did, mm. you know. But but I'm at a, I'm at a point now where, where I feel like I can see that those are those aren't really values and they're, they're a detriment, and it's not the same thing as Western spirituality, you know that those values are not the s- synonymous with uh, what waking up means, mm-hmm. what non-duality is, what magic has to be, and right now, you know, the younger people—they're still—you can see them perpetuating those values. But what they're left with now are the dregs of where that leaves you. It's like what non-judgmental, hedonistic, short-term um, self-interest is left to pursue. What's the last line to transgress? Like. So, the youngest, the youngest generation, Zoomers or whatever, um, they get they're getting the dregs of what's of what's possible with that. Mm. So they can do that, or perhaps do something else. Recognize that we don't we, we don't need to do that anymore. And um, so that that would be why you know that's the only reason, the only justification why I might talk about something like boomer magic and tie it to a generation. It's just that core idea. 
it's coming to an end. Yeah. A generation is coming to an end that's embodied those values, and, and we have a different we have a different choice. We we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's why you see the failure that we've seen with so many teachers in the West doing what they've done, and even with some Eastern teachers coming to the West because they're not blameless. Some of the stuff they've done is unbelievable. Mm. Um, but I feel like it's our turn now, Dunk. At least, at least a little voice, you know, that's that that um, can contribute. Mm. And and at least stand up and say, look, we're doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's another possibility that's available. Yeah, and we don't have to continue doing that anymore. But it would be a voice without reputation. <laughs> so, but I'd rather have that a bad reputation and be actually um, uh, good people, rather than be bad people attempting to cultivate a good reputation. Mm. You know. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So you wanted to talk, didn't you? Want to talk about fairies? Yes, please. Did you like that segue? I've been noticing a lot of stuff recently. It just seems to be in the air, you know, on the on the podcast airwaves. Um, people talking about UFOs, the Fae, high strangeness, the phenomenon, as it sometimes gets called, um, the, the yeah. whole hellier shtick, the whole thing about how all these things seem to be joined together in some sort of mysterious way, you know. Bigfoot's getting out of UFOs and um, creating poltergeist activity uh, in the houses of people who've seen them, all that sort of stuff. And um, a lot of podcasts have been following these threads, and some of it's pretty good. Um, but the thing that that made me think was, you know, me and you, looking back through all the stuff we've done, there were never any yeah. fairies, were there? We never, we never, <laughs> we, we never claim to see any fairies or uh, uh, not in the uh, mythological sense. No. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about you know why would that be the case? But then I started to wonder, mm. and I started to think, well, maybe we we have had connection and contact with fairies because the thing I get quite often is in meditation practice you know when those um, crappy little spirits pop up you know Mm. um, something will pop up and uh, might look a bit strange might try to draw you in with some kind of narrative or um, invitation I mean I remember I had one once which was a little blob that popped up and started to explain that um me and this blob knew each other on an alternate timeline and uh, <laughs> it, it needed my help uh, you know to, to help out with something and you just get this feeling straight away that you know this is at best probably a, a transient psychotic episode but um, <laughs> at worst yeah. you know likely to kind of draw you into something that's going to be a complete waste of time mm. And the other, yeah. the other thing, I mean, we've often experienced is using the Ouija board. You know, the, most of the spirits that will come through on a Ouija board are time-wasting, pointless things that seem to have no knowledge superior to our own and that will just dick you around trying to get you to believe that they do. Yeah, they feed off the interaction, don't they? Yeah. Is this the Fae? I mean, I'm inclined to think that this is, you know, the experience that I've had 
um, of that phenomenon. You know, I've never been out walking in the fields and seen a little guy dressed in green dancing around a mushroom or anything like that. But, Duncan, mm. there's a structure to the mythological stories of the Fae, isn't there? There is. It, that it usually involves abduction mm. or, um, you know, uh, someone wandering into uh, the kingdom of the Fae, something like that, and the Fae treating them badly, perhaps forcing them to drink something, yeah. consume something, you know, missing time. Yeah. You know, they go back to their village to report where they've been for the last few days. You know they've been on this adventure with the Fae, yeah, and and therefore the you know there's a synonymity with some of the descriptions people have of UFO abduction encounters, yeah, you know which is why people have drawn the connection, haven't they, between the two? They have to say that the the phenomenon is something that's been always been with us, and we used to talk about them as the Fae, now they're aliens, yeah, but that structure's not there, is it, with uh, just talking to random spirits? Is it not? I mean, there's always a sense that they want to to take you off course. They want to deviate mm. you. Yeah. Um, they want to waste your time. There's something something here, like... A lot of people are making these links now and drawing, you know, parallels with the UFO phenomenon and, and all of that. Yeah. And the idea that there's a, a mystery here, something that we haven't got to the bottom of... Now, whenever I've done any magical work in in this sort of area, you know, trying to contact aliens or spirits and so on, there's always a sense that that this sort of stuff it's fake. It's not yeah. it's not real. Mm. Um like with the aliens, I remember doing a working to try and get abducted and all yeah. sorts of weird stuff happened in the night but nothing conclusive and then the next morning I open my door and on the doorstep is a is a packet of uh, Space Invader crisps you know with the face of an alien looking up at me and that's the first thing I see Space said. Raiders Space Raiders that was it Space Raiders yeah. yeah yeah so that's like a synchronicity around yeah. the, the, the symbolism yeah and, and I mean there was that one where we got in touch via the Ouija board with somebody who was piloting a UFO and they said that, that yeah. their UFO would appear and then that night um, yeah. we, we saw this weird orange light didn't we which turned out to be a Chinese lantern but there was a, a wave of a, whole host of them. Yeah, a yeah. wave of sightings across Sussex and it was all across the newspapers yeah. the next day You know, so another weird yeah. synchronicity but, it, but yeah. almost as if this phenomenon is drawing attention to its own fictionality, to its own fakeness to the sense yeah. that at the heart of it, there's there's a nothing. The famous UFO researchers, like uh, Jacques Vallée and mm. so on, this is moving to their into their territory, isn't it? This is stuff they've said. Yeah. Where there's the, most of the UFO abduction stories or visitations or sightings always have an absurdist angle to them. Mm. Like like an alien, you know, landing in your back garden and giving you a plate of pancakes. Yeah. And then leaving. Um, but one of the takes for understanding that is that the the absurdist element is there, so that no one will believe your story. Yeah. But you you have had an encounter, so it's something that you can't explain. Um, you have difficulty sharing it with others because they won't believe it. Yeah. Because of the the, the absurdity to it, um, or the or the strangeness to it. Um, now that could lean into that idea of misdirection. Mm. Because then, then you're wrestling with this, with trying to understand how it can be so absurd, mm. 
and and how you share this with others to even talk about it as a real phenomenon um, whereas what might be more important is lost in that isn't it yes now this yeah. this i mean i can see where you're going with that you know and yeah. i think this is maybe an angle that we can bring to this stuff that that i'm not seeing anywhere else that that this is some kind of step on the path to awakening I mean, the, the the way you were describing it just then as um, an experience that has a certain absurdity to it that you can't share with anyone else by definition, and yet it's real. <laughs> yeah? yeah? Yeah. But that would be... Th- that If we were going to line that up with magical experience with initiation, um, we're talking about that outer threshold, aren't we? Where Yeah. Because you, you can do magic and you can get results, but it will it will spit you out and um you know you you end up not encountering the mystery you 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 set out to encounter yeah. instead you you get lost in cabalistic sums and following uh synchronistic connections exactly between what happened during the working yeah and and then and then you just repeat that same experience over and over again yeah. uh, never ever crossing the threshold yeah to yeah and you're talking about helia aren't you <laughs> Am I? <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly what what we see there, um, right? Yeah. They, they they get into this this area this this level of experience, um, and I think where where Helia goes wrong is they never get beyond it, do they? Um, I mean, we're we're still waiting for this third season, which I imagine is never going to appear. Um, the people involved in Helia seem to have gone back to doing the sort of you know, material that they were doing before. It's almost like they they entered into this threshold area and then didn't go any further. But what we're saying here is something... It's quite a radical stance to take, um, I think. Basically, what we're saying, (laughs) maybe, is that a lot of spirit contact that you have during magical work is, is rubbish, trash. It's it's yeah. something that um, is there that will specifically t- lead you astray. I mean, I've I've had people come come to me and say, "Oh, I'm thinking of working with the trickster." You know, I'm thinking of evoking yeah. the trickster, and I'm sort of like, "Well, what do you think's going to happen if you evoke the trickster?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to yeah. get tricked, aren't you? You're going to get dicked around, and and your time's going to get wasted. I think the sort of work that we've done down the years um, goes against a very prevalent attitude in contemporary magic which is animism, spiritism Um, Mm. the idea that the spirits are at the centre of what you do I mean you know you think of the number of uh, magical writers out there at the moment who take that view you know it's all about the spirits Uh, it's all about having contact with the spirits Basically, what we're saying here is, you know, that's that's not the case. I mean, what what we often talk about is very, very human-centered. So you keep saying we, and I'm I'm worried that you're tarnishing my reputation <laughs> by associating me <laughs> with this viewpoint, Dunk. <laughs> Would you prefer to distance yourself from it? No, I mean, I could make it worse. Mm. So. Uh, I think most of occultism 
is about going around in circles. Mm. You know, st- staying in that in that uh, outer court, so to speak. Yeah. And never crossing crossing the threshold. Yeah. And I'm going to make it yeah. even worse. <laughs> okay. Which yeah. is that you know, there's this idea that there's this mystery about the phenomenon. You know, ooh, ghosts. Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, you know, oh there's a mystery at the centre mm. of all this. How does it all how does it all fit together? I think we already know. We already know what this stuff is. Do we? Yeah. What is it? What we just talked about. <laughs> it's part of the awakening process. Ah, right now. So what but whose awakening process? What do you mean who? Well, let's say you have um a collection of people that have a collective experience, you know, that's that's uh, with the phenomenon. Mm. You know, there's there's an idea, isn't there, with the phenomenon that it's um, a transcendental object that's drawing us into the future, mm. which is why in the past, you know, it might have appeared as an airship to to medieval peasants, who you know, for them, something flying in the sky was mind blowing and was beyond what they could comprehend. Now for us it's changed into interdimensional spacecraft. Right. You know, beyond what we can understand. But it's like always one step beyond, isn't yeah. it? And it's and it's an image, transcendental object that's drawing us in into the future. Yeah. 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 But but the idea there is that it applies to us collectively. And the the thing about the, the thing about initiation, there's no such thing as collective initiation. Contrary to boomer magic, the <laughs> idea of boomer magic, where if we all just do whatever we want, in terms of <laughs> short-sighted self-interest, and we enjoy ourselves doing it, you know, we're we're all going to wake up. The, the planet's going to become an illuminated paradise. Mm. Uh, so, and often, just as a just as a, a matter of course, you know, if we just wait long enough, and if we drink enough ayahuasca, mm. uh, we'll do we'll just get there. Um, yeah, there is no collective awakening. Yeah, that that would be contrary to the nature of our uh, divine souls. Yeah, you know, you you can't force someone to wake up just through the sheer movement of time. It's your inheritance is something you have to say yes to. Yeah, and it's so divine, it's not forced upon you. Yeah, which is which is why any idea of you know like having an awakening pill that people could just take and everyone could just wake up, or uh, you know the wish that. Um, a lot of people have, which seems to be, if they could click their fingers and everyone could be enlightened, then they, then they would do that. Yeah. But that would be forcing something on people that they haven't said yes to. It would be forcing an inheritance upon. Yeah. Uh, you know, the divine soul that it hasn't assented to yet. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah totally so, agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is only divine justice, so so it would be an affront to that. Yeah. Yeah. Collective awakening. Yeah. yeah. And, and isn't it interesting how the phenomenon, um, mm. you know, would seem to encourage precisely the point of view that you've described there, that there is, yeah. that there is a, a yeah. collective awakening. Yeah. <laughs> and in the process, you know, take people off, take people, mislead them. I think the feeling I get is there's something here about the many. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I've not been able to formulate it yet, but one of the things I'm really wary of is when people come up with some sort of unified theory of the phenomenon, you know, like the John Keel ultra-terrestrial thing. Well, what's what's that theory? Well, uh, the idea that... The benefit of our listeners. Yeah, so the idea that all paranormal phenomena is produced by one thing, which is probably beings, uh, perhaps 
not much more intelligent than us but um, with access to other dimensions of existence so that their activities look you know rather strange um, in terms of this dimension Mm. Um, but the problem with that is it's almost like people are trying to define the other of the other and the other of the other is not other do you see what I mean? There's a weird, <laughs> there's a weird logic that happens there. Um, so yeah. if if you try and resolve all paranormal phenomena in all its different guises into one thing, mm. then you end up with something that's not really that different from us. Like in the John Keel hypothesis, it's basically just beings in another dimension. You know, that are pretty. They yeah. wouldn't have to be any different from what we are. They just need to inhabit mm. a different realm. So you end up with the other of the other is actually not other anymore. Yeah, and and I'm I'm really suspicious of that manoeuvre. I think I think the phenomenon has something to do with the many. Do you mean as in like its nature would be plural? Yes, rather than yeah. unified. Its nature is well, plural. Its nature is multiple. You know that that move, that tendency to make things into one, mm. or to universalize mm. or generalize. Um, it's a common move, isn't it? Whenever you find. When you find anything compelling or interesting in any way, right? And wherever there may be difficulty or conflict of whatever nature, whether it's conceptual or, you know, real life conflict, right? Political, spiritual, whatever it might be, um, you know, where things come into contact with each other that aren't compatible and and some resolution is required, Mm. right? Uh, There can be this move just to say, well, this is just like that over there. And they're both the same, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right, there's, a, there's that tendency, isn't there, to universalise, to, to generalise. And, it, and it's a way of ignoring details. Mm. And although it's important to recognise a universal structure to things, right, it's also important to recognise differences or particulars. And it's precisely the particulars where we get the qualities of experience, isn't it? It's, where, it's what we're interested in and, and where we find the, the value in anything is in the particulars and we and the particulars are what we should be engaging with and be interested in rather than attempting to brush aside by making everything into a weird homogenous yeah. neutral mush yeah. and I think when we so, when we look yeah. at the particulars of the phenomenon mm. of paranormal experience we mm. get something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever that's the whole point of it isn't it well it depends, doesn't it? Because now are you universalizing all experience as <laughs> <or> something nonsensical? <laughs> and this is it. This is it. We're, we're left with something that we cannot get hold of. We cannot, by definition, get hold of it. But we know that. We know what this stuff is. We can get we can get to grips with what we encounter personally, can't we? So so that story that you shared, where we did a working, we we were replicating, weren't we, some uh, famous CIA. Uh, experiments, I think, when we did the Ouija board and we spoke to the captain of the UFO. Right. We were replicating some kind of experiments that went on with American intelligence. Very probably. Yeah. yeah. And we spoke to this captain of this UFO, right, and then and then we saw UFOs and then there were reports of UFO sightings that night yeah. and then it turns out, doesn't it, that they were, it was just uh, um, like an armada of Chinese lanterns. Yeah. That had been that had been late that night. Uh, we can look at that and we can talk about what that is. Um, but it's also equally possible, isn't it, that that you know the next night you could have been abducted and probed. <laughs> you could have two two different kinds of experiences. Yeah. 
that are not synonymous. So the, the, a, lot, a big problem you can have is when, when you, you think you're engaging with the phenomenon, you know, because you're watching YouTube videos or reading books. You know, and, and the thing we did was precisely we wanted to encounter it, didn't we? Mm. I mean, you you were very keen, weren't you, mm. to to explore all kinds of paranormal experiences to see what they might be, mm. and that's the best we can do is deal with with that experience. And it's in the particulars again that's where it's interesting. So, you know, we we can see that commonality, the universal nature to it, where there's like there's there's the experience, there's a there's the appearance, isn't there? the strong impressions that come along yeah. to persuade you in one direction or another to make you believe that because because of the intensity of the experience you should really pay attention to yeah. it and it's more important than all the other impressions <laughs> that might be made you know at a given time and uh, that there's something that runs through all of that and we can look past it and go beyond it and I think that that's a, a universal to this stuff and maybe that's what you were uh, highlighting earlier um, but then there are the particulars to it. So uh, I'll give you another example. So you mentioned the Fae. Yeah. Once I took a heroic dose of Salvia Divinorum mm-hmm. and I saw gnomes, right? Reality shattered and I saw what looked like garden gnomes, pointy hats and everything. Uh, a group of them were extraordinarily excited to see me. <laughs> they couldn't believe I was there. They were jumping up and down, you know, and then the, then the experience came to an end. So I know they're gnomes and they're not the fae, but that was different from uh, our encounter with the Chinese lanterns, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mm. I've also had encounters with birds, where sometimes stories of the fae or fairies is that they're synonymous with birds. Mm. Um, I remember in my philosophy class when I was 16, there was a girl there, she told a story and she did it with the attitude of someone who's used to people shouting her down and telling her that it's nonsense. Right, but she shared it anyway, and she said she once saw a little glowing orb right uh, float down into her garden, and it turned into a robin, and and then it flew off. And she would not be told that she was hallucinating, that she was a you know a bad witness, or that she was probably mistaken for whatever reason. She was adamant that that's what she'd seen. Uh, and sometimes you hear stories, don't you, with the, the fairies being described in that way. Have I, I've had encounters with birds, yeah, particularly particularly magpies, right. Uh, where where the truth of the matter is, they're messengers from the from the true earth. <laughs> um, is that the same thing as the Fae? Who can say? Mm. You know. Mm. I mean, I've had uh, experiences with birds as well. I remember being on a retreat. I wrote about it in the Baptist Head stuff, oh, yeah. where mm. a bird would would appear and give communications. Mm. Yeah, which is where I would argue that the true understanding of of the angel comes from. Mm. You know where you, where you have a person with wings, that symbolises what the true nature of a bird is, right? Versus a bird being a symbol for an angel. All of these communications that we've just talked about through birds, yeah. they mm. led somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they they're not tricksters. No. No, they're messages from the true earth. They want to move you in one direction. Wouldn't it seem like the uh, phenomenon that we're talking about, right, uh, wants to lead you in a different direction? Yes. Well, maybe there's a complementary countervailing force to the birds. May- maybe the phenomenon is the counterpart to, to the magpie, to the raven. But I think the phenomenon can also be an entry point for people into magic and into awakening. I mean, like you mm-hmm. said, for you it was Crowley. For me it was, you know, the paranormal, an interest in the paranormal, messing around with the Ouija board. But it's possible, isn't it, you could have you stayed there? 
Yes. You could have got stuck there with electronic devices. Yeah. Trying to detect spirits moving around in a you know abandoned mansion or whatever. Yeah. You could have spent the rest of your life doing that. But thinking about the the general perspective on this, you know, that we've taken here today and and also in the past as well, we're in a way saying that we know what this stuff is and we're also saying that being spirit-centred is Mm. probably more likely to lead you into a delusory direction than than taking a more human-centred view. Well, I think, again, we're coming back around to that idea of the identity of the spirits in question, right? And Mm. what is it that they want, and and therefore what is the relationship you have with them? If it's some kind of forced initiation which would be a parody of initiation, which is what you get with the fae, don't you? And the yeah. the phenomenon. It's like a parody of a false initiation, isn't it? Yeah. Often involving bizarre intimations of lineage, because aliens are always seem to be concerned with genetics. Yeah. And they follow family <laughs> lines, don't they? And there's always something about the promise of the family line leading somewhere. So what we're actually talking about then is different types <laughs> of spirits, aren't we? And, and the, to an extent, identifying the nature of those spirits is the sorts of interactions that we're talking about you know are they are they leading you in a direction of growth or yeah so that's a more useful approach rather than generalizing yeah. the idea of the phenomenon and making it all the same thing we look at the particulars and you can talk about each instance as an encounter with the being and you can talk about what does it want yeah and what's the relationship what's the outcome because all, all identities disclose themselves if you allow them to mm. mm-hmm. and maybe what we're also saying there is the nature discloses itself but necessarily through the relationship to the human. You know, it's what they want to do to us, or what they want for us. Yeah. So, so so some entities, some gods, some spirits, what they want for you is for you to transcend yourself. Yeah. And to go, be, go beyond even the relationship you have with the entity in question. Yeah. Right. So, so that's of a very different nature than an entity that might want to bargain with you or might want you to believe something. Yeah. Against your will. Because that, that defines the... UFO abduction phenomenon, doesn't it? Yeah. It's some overpowering force, some overwhelming force that's having its way with you, and you're initiated into knowledge that other people don't have. And it has something to do with usually your bloodline and the the promise of an extraordinary future for the human race. <laughs> yeah, that's again that's a, it's like a parody, isn't it? Yeah. Of initiation. I mean we talked quite a bit about demons last time, and this is slightly yeah. different to demons. You know, I think a demon wants you very much to focus upon it. It wants to be the object of your desire. You know, it wants a lot of attention. I don't get quite the same feeling with, you know, the phenomenon or or perhaps elemental spirits is what we're talking about. Well, the thing about the the phenomenon, though, is, is you can see the cultural traction that it has. It's extraordinary, the amount of attention it gets. Yeah. And it has done for a long time, since the 40s. Mm. It's become it's become more and more predominant. Who doesn't know that an alien has a bulbous head, and big black eyes? Who doesn't know that? Who doesn't know what a grey is? What's been the function of people like Whitley Strieber, if not to simply popularise the idea of the phenomenon? But then I suppose I'm looking at it from my experience, which is, you know, it was that sort of stuff, that sort of material that led me into spiritual practice, into an interest in awakening. You know, so it doesn't necessarily lead you astray. But it does does confront you with something that's that's potentially confusing. If it's a parody of initiation, which it clearly is, isn't it? Yeah. It's a parody of initiation. It will lead you in the opposite direction. It will keep you away from the truth. 
Mm. And maybe that's what his function is. You, you can either listen to the aliens or you can listen to the birds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like this happens. 